0: Welcome to the Crossings Church. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, We've got a smaller crowd today. As they mentioned at the beginning, we had a marriage retreat this weekend. Uh, So many of us in this room uh, came back late last night so we could be here this morning, but then a lot of us uh, that are members of the church are still in Lake Ozark, uh, which is why we have a little smaller crowd today. Uh, Had a really good time. We had a speaker there uh, named Joe Beam, um, if you don't know Joe, he is a uh, syndicated talk show host. He's a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, he's a marriage and family uh, expert. Uh, he's got a PhD in sexology, uh, which is fun. Um, and one of the few in the United... He's the only one that's a Christian, I think, that has... It actually, he's got a PhD in sexology. So they, because of that, he's frequently on the Today Show. He's on Good Morning America because, as he says, people are fascinated that Christians have sex. Uh, And they they want to talk because they're just fascinated by that. But he's a guy who comes in and and as a marriage expert is one that speaks from failure. Because uh, he will tell you when he was a young man, he was a preacher. He got married and for 15 years was married to this woman. And eventually he started struggling with alcoholism and drugs. He was hiding it. He was preaching on Sunday morning and going out and getting drunk Sunday night. And he eventually got caught. He had an affair uh, he left his wife, he left his faith, he got fired from his church, uh, he pursued this unholy relationship with this, with kind of this fling with his wife. That ended up falling apart, she divorced him, he gets humbled, he gets right with God again, he gets off drugs, gets off alcohol, repents, gets, gets back in line with Jesus, ends up remarrying his first wife gets back together. Now they've been married for the second time for like 30 years. So he says it's really confusing when he tells people they've been married a total of 50 years and his daughter is 51, I think. Uh, so he's like, I got to explain that. But um, anyway, it was just great because he speaks from failure, you know, and, and I really appreciate that because I don't know about you guys, if, if I hear from somebody who just has it together all the time, I'm like, that's not me, right? If, if you are following Jesus and you just get it right all of the time, that takes my hope away because that's not me. And so I appreciate somebody who can come in and say, guess what? I screwed up worse than you. Well, let me tell you what I learned from it. I like that, don't you? And that's one of the things I love about the crossings because that's the kind of church that we try to be here where you guys, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You could have screwed up really, really bad more than once and God can still work in your life. Amen? Matter of fact, he might even work through you more powerfully than he works through somebody who's got it all together, because that's just kind of how God rolls. And so uh, if you're visiting here, I just want you to know this, that's the kind of church you're in. And the theme for this year, we we pick a theme to teach out of every year. Uh, This year, we chose the theme equipped. You can see the graphic behind us here Uh, some of the imagery. It's got the Swiss Army knife, lots of different tools. The Bible teaches that you and I uh, have gifts that God has given us. My gift isn't going to be the same as yours. Your gift isn't going to be the same as mine. But just like that multi-tool up there, God has a use for each one of those. God has a use for me. He has a use for you. You've got a place in the body of Christ. And part of the job of the church is to equip you. Church leadership, our job is to equip our members to be the people that God created them to be. There's a person that God created you to be. There are things that God created you to do. Our job is to help you get there. That's the point of the church. Um, We are a church that is committed here to evangelism. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Last week, Jake talked about equipping you for worship, how God equips us for worship. We're going to start a series, uh, two-parter today, first off uh, on evangelism, uh, where we talk about how God equips us for evangelism. And guys... Again, we're a church that's committed to that. There's not going to be a week that goes by, more than likely, where you don't hear a hint at this at some point because this is a core part of what we're to do. Jesus means for us to be salt and light in the world. We're going to be light in a dark world. You've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, uh, that's going to have a lot of the scriptures that we look at on there. It's going to have a place for you to write some stuff down. Um, And that's what we're going to come off of today. Uh, So the crossings... Is committed to equipping me to share my faith why why are we concerned with that well number one because as a Christ follower I should live to please Christ as a Christ follower I should live to please Christ now this is a fundamental commitment that we make when we decide to become Christians it's I want to please Jesus that's the question Listen, if you just became a Christian to have your sins forgiven, you need to rethink this, okay? If that was your main motivation, I just want, my, I just want to go from the damned ledger to the saved ledger in God's book. You're, you're missing the point. The point is to become like Jesus. That's the goal. Now, the benefit is I get my sins forgiven. The benefit is I get to be with God in eternity. The benefit is I get to be with him. But my goal in life is to be like Jesus. That's got to be it. Okay, that's it. If we get our eye off that ball, then we're going to get off track in a lot of different ways. We're saying we're going to submit our will to the will of him. So does that mean I need to get to know him? Yes. Does that mean I need to get to know what he thinks and how he feels and what honors him and what dishonors him? Yes. When the Bible says something gets close to dishonoring him, you know, I I need to be concerned with that um paul is a guy who would who would later die for sharing his faith but he writes in second corinthians 5 ultimately it doesn't matter whether we're here or gone our purpose stays fixed and that's to please him notice the language which he uses there our purpose he's talking to the church he's like this is a universally accepted truth our purpose is to please jesus and this is a guy who didn't have control over the circumstances in his life guys what happened to paul he was dragged into an arena and beheaded. Do you know that was completely avoidable? If he had just stopped talking about Jesus? But as, as you read the New Testament, guys, he, he says, I, I can't stop because that would dishonor him. I want to please him. Even if I'm going to give my life for it, I'm going to please him. Now, when I was younger, for a long time, I grew up in the church. You guys um, that come around here know my story. Uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, for a long time, I just didn't want to follow Jesus. I didn't want to. Why? because I knew I had to give up things. I knew I had to give up, like, I, his will is, is, trumps my will and I didn't like that because I was gonna miss out on something, is how I felt. And so even though I knew the way I was living was wrong, which I was into drugs, alcohol, party, and all that stuff, even though I knew that was wrong, I still embraced it and did it because I wanted to have my fun. And I put off making this commitment to him Precisely because I wanted to be in control. I wanted to retain that. That's not a disciple, right? That's not a disciple. I remember after coming to faith, you know, and, and you kind of go through that, that period where you're really committed right at the beginning and then life hits. You're like, hmm. Will I be lost if? You start asking that question. I've made this commitment to follow Jesus. Will I be lost if... Guys, if you start asking that question, that's not a good question to ask. Okay? It's like if you're married and you got a wife, will I be divorced if... Do you find yourself asking those kinds of questions? No, you don't ask that, right? You don't do that. Uh, uh, will I go to jail if... Maybe when I was younger I would ask that question. Okay? I don't ask it. But you can be tempted in your faith... to to ask these kinds of questions. The better question is, is this going to please Jesus? Is this going to please Jesus? That's got to be our goal. Guys, one of the reasons we talk about evangelism at the crossings all the time is precisely because it pleases Jesus. Guys, when you get to know the man, he loves people. When you get to know the man, he is all about reaching lost people. When you get to know the man, he's all about getting his followers to reach lost people. His words in, in Mark, some of his final words, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world. Tell the good news to everyone. He's talking uh, in a prayer in John 17 to his father. He's talking about this mission that his followers are going to have in the world as he sends them out. He says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. In John seventeen eight, We have a mission, guys. We have a purpose. We have marching orders. If our goal is to please him, we're gonna follow his marching orders. You can't ignore his call to evangelism and be a disciple. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You can't look at Jesus and say, I know you're asking me to do that, but I don't care, and be his disciple. It doesn't work like that. You can't do that. Now, Jesus sent his followers into the world with a mission. Guys, if you read the Gospels, we see he's with them for three years. He's mentoring these guys. He's developing these young men, which the the 12 were more than likely teenagers, most of them. Peter may have been a little bit older, but these are young men that Jesus has spent time with. And he's mentoring them. He's teaching them. And they get all the way through everything that happens with the cross, Right? And then Jesus comes back from the dead. Hello, guys. He spends 40 days with them, maybe a little longer. He opens their mind to the scriptures, helps them piece this story together that he'd been telling them the whole time that they just didn't get. But then they see, okay, this is a cohesive kind of thing. You are fulfilling all these things in history. And he says, all right, guys, now I'm leaving. I'm going to heaven. I want you to go out and start telling people about me. I want you to go out and start making disciples. You have a mission, but there's also a strategy to it. Because if you read the book of Acts, God's strategy for expansion, you know, Jesus tells these guys, go to Jerusalem and wait. I just want to point this out because this is our strategy for expansion here at the church as well. It says, then you will tell everyone about me in Acts 1.8. Notice he says in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria and everywhere in the world. The church started in Jerusalem in Acts 2, Okay. That's where the Holy Spirit comes, that's where you see 3,000 people uh, get baptized all at once, that's where you just see this little explosion, right, in Jerusalem. And so you've got this group of followers in this city, and then from there it expands out to the county, to Judea and Samaria, and then eventually uh, uh, it goes all over the place. And so the way this looks for us, Jerusalem equates to people within my city, Judea equates to people within my county. Samaria equates to people within my country. And the ends of the earth equates to those in foreign countries. And so you see this plan for expansion uh, right here in the book of Acts. And um, this is what we are trying to do here. Now, we've planted a church in Collinsville. We have uh, plans to move out from here to other places, which in, if you guys have been around, you know we are a church that came over from across the river. We had about a, a group of us that came over and moved over here and started this church. Now, our vision is into the future, we are going to continue planting churches. We're going to continue starting ministries. I just got uh, paperwork this past week. We've been talking about getting a rehab started here in, in, in this area. Uh, we, we are in the process of that. Uh, we plan to hopefully do more of those maybe in the future. We'll see how this goes. Uh, but we've got plans for growth, we've got plans for expansion, but we got to start somewhere, and we're going to start right where we are, start now, okay? we got to be faithful to that, but then we're going to go out from there. We get that right out of the scriptures. And I don't know about you, but I like being part of a church that's planting churches. It's exciting to me. Uh, guys, it's exciting for those across the river when they got to come here a couple of weeks ago, some of you may know, some of you may not. We had all of our leadership teams from our other churches come here. You know how encouraged they were to come out here because they supported this church plant. They, they saw this building when it was in shambles. You know, for them to come here and see uh, the, not just the facility, but the new faces that are here. And, and to hear the stories from some of you guys from this area that we've been able to reach. Guys, you need to understand that's extremely encouraging. Uh, to the people that really sacrificed to make sure we could be over here. They did that for y'all. And you're going to get to experience that too. Because one of these days, we're going to have a little baby church that we've planted, and we're going to get to go visit them someday, and we're going to get to see these people we don't even know that are following Jesus just because we tried to be faithful to this, right? And I know it was satisfying for them in the first century as well, whenever they would write their letters man one of the things that Paul and and John and these other guys just got excited about was seeing people come to know Jesus and guys you want to know why they were that way because they were trying to honor Jesus man you know how excited Jesus got about people becoming whole you know that's just that's his heart man that's his passion He's always looking out for the outcast. He's looking out for needs. And he's, he's looking out for those people the world ignores a lot of the time. And that's just his heart. But, man, his followers have that heart. You've got to understand that's what kept them going. Paul, guys, I already mentioned, he's going to get beheaded, right? But what kept him going? Acts 20, 24, the most important thing is that I complete my mission, The work the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. Circle the most important thing in that passage. Who gets to choose what is the most important thing for them? Paul got to choose that for himself. Right? You and I get to choose what our priorities are going to be. He chose the most important thing is that I'm going to fulfill this mission that Jesus gave. Now, when I get up in the morning, I'll just be honest, guys. When I get up in the morning, especially on my day off, for me, that's not my most important thing that morning. My most important thing is getting up and getting my coffee. And I'm going to turn my phone off because y'all better leave me alone, right? Guys, the most important thing is a choice. It really is a choice. This guy made the choice, and he stood by it, even though it cost him chunks of flesh. Because he had a hard life. He was disfigured by the end of his life. He had been beaten so much because of his faith, and he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. But you want to know what kept him going, guys? He knew they can beat me. They can do all these things. It's all going to be a wash in the end. I'm just going to keep on loving them no matter what they do. And he let them kill him. Man, and he's not the only one. There's a bunch of guys that did that. Isn't that crazy? These guys that go and let people crucify them. All they have to do is shut up. They let them crucify them while they're praying for them. Jesus isn't the only one that did that. His followers did it too. It's crazy. What motivated them is a deep love for those people that put them there. That's insane. That's just God. How else can you account for that? That's just Jesus. That's, That's evidence of his presence. We've got to have hearts like that. We've got to be that committed to this mission. Secondly, the crossings is committed to equipping me to share my faith. Because as a Christ follower, I should long to be like Christ. I should long to be like Christ. So we should please him. We should also long to be like him. God's purpose in our life is not just to get us saved. Okay, the point of church is not just for you to get saved. The point of church is for you to become like Jesus. That is the point. It, that is the point. Um, this isn't on your notes, but in Romans 8, <clears throat> in the New Living Translation, I don't know if I got this on the slide or not, um, But in in, uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That right there says, if you were a Christian, God chose you to make you like Jesus. That's the point of it. It's not to get your sins simply forgiven and You're good. It's to make you like Jesus. It's development. It is a lifelong process of development where you're becoming more like him. It is not about a singular uh, conversion experience where you're bad and now you're good and we're done. You know, that's how it's presented in some places. Like, come have this conversion experience. Oh, great. Yeah, well. Once saved, always saved. Yay! It's it's about becoming like Jesus. It's a process of becoming like Jesus. It is a lifelong pursuit of becoming like Jesus. And this is a great life. There's grace where we screw up. There's there's patience. There is correction. There is rebuke. Sometimes there's a spanking, but it's because you need it. Just like kids sometimes, right? The point isn't to just hurt them. The point is to develop them and to make them like Jesus. That's the point. We want to become like him. And it's really, really important that we understand if we're going to be like Jesus, guys, how did Jesus feel about people? Jesus loved people. He loved people. He loved people and he loves people. And he loves lost people. It says in, in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. Why? Because he loves them. He loves them. If I'm going to be a person who's like Jesus, how am I going to feel about lost people? I'm going to care. I'm going I'm to do something about it, right? The Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. He actually did something. You know, he didn't just pray for them. I'm not saying prayer's bad. He, he wasn't just content with being a good example. You know, some people say, just gonna, I don't need to speak up. I'm just going to be a good example. And people are going to see my life is so good. They're going to come ask me why my life is so good. Then I'll tell them about Jesus. You know Jesus didn't even do that? You think, you think you're better at living a perfect life than Jesus? What? He, Jesus didn't even do that. He actually did something. The Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. In Luke 6.40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. Here's a concept from the scriptures um, that I think a lot of people uh, maybe don't understand. Do you guys know how many times the word Christian shows up in the Bible? Three, three times. Okay. Three um, Three times. You only know that because somebody told you. Because if you were guessing, you would think it was a lot more, right? Three times. You want to know how much the word disciple shows up in the Bible? It's 120. Uh, Derivatives of it, it's more like 230. Uh, It is the normative way to refer to what we would say is a Christian. That was the normative word they used in the New Testament to describe uh, a Christian. Um, disciple. Now, the word disciple to us is kind of a weird word. We don't use it a lot in the English language. It's more of a religious word. Back in in the first century, uh, in the original language, it was not a religious word. It was a secular word. And it described the relationship that a a Greek uh, uh, philosopher or a Jewish rabbi had with their followers. Uh, When we think... um, When we think like student, when I think about that word, I think about a classroom. I think about desks. You know, if you say the word student, I'm I'm thinking chalkboard, I'm thinking desks, I'm thinking uh, notebooks, you know, it's student. Um, Not so, you know, if you were a student of Jesus. Uh, The word student here in Luke 640 is the same word rendered disciple everywhere else. It's in in the original language. It's the Greek word mathetis. Um, This says, disciples are not greater than their teacher, but the disciple who is fully trained will become like their teacher. That is a concept that was common in the first century with these rabbis and these philosophers. Because if you were following a Jewish rabbi, or if you were following a Greek philosopher, you were literally following them from town to town. You were serving them. Your job as their disciple was to take care of their needs. It was to uh, uh, follow them around and learn their teaching, but also to serve them practically. And you as their student, weren't just trying to like learn what they thought, you were trying to be like them. So you'd dress like them, you'd adopt their style of dress, you would adopt their eating habits, you would adopt their hygiene habits, you would mimic their cadence in their rhetoric, you would learn their speaking style, you would learn their illustrations. You would learn how they think about certain things, and so a lot of this on-the-road time is you're working out with your uh, uh, mentor, all this stuff, but you're, it's like, you guys have seen Austin Powers, you know, Dr. Evil and Many Me? That's a really good illustration of a discipling relationship, (laughs) actually, because Dr. Evil and Many Me, which if you haven't seen the movie, it's... A guy dressed a certain way and then he's got like this uh, little person that follows him around. You're not supposed to say midget. So I won't say that. Uh, it's a little person that's following him around um, and he looks just like him. That's a good illustration. So when I, when I look at this passage and it's talking about being a disciple of Jesus, guys, that's what it means. Uh, I'm hammering this. Because you can't say you're a disciple and not care about lost people. You can't. It's not a thing. You're not a disciple. if You're a struggling disciple. Let me say it that way. You're a struggling disciple and you need to make some change. You need to repent. If you don't care about people, that's not the heart of Jesus. And if that's where your heart is this morning, guys, that's something that needs to change. That's something that needs to change. Thirdly, the crossings is equipped or committed to equipping me to share my faith because, number three, as a Christ follower, I should love people like Christ. I think I've said that already. That's, that's going through this whole lesson, okay? This is all about loving people. It's all about loving people. So we live to please Christ. We should long to be like Christ. We should love people like Christ. Jesus is characterized by this love and compassion. He paid attention to the unnoticed. He offered a hand up to the people that needed it. He didn't simply love in word, he loved in deed. It says in 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away his sins, or take away our sins, rather. Um, It says in John 3.16, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed, by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Uh, now, we talk about this at the, at the crossings a lot. Uh, but what the Bible teaches is that you and I, when we die, are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to give an account for our lives. Every single person who has ever lived is going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for their life. Your mama's not going to stand by you. Your daddy's not going to stand by you. You're going to be up there by yourself. You don't get to blame. It's you, you, you're going to give an account for you. And uh, guys, we get to go be with him for eternity in heaven, or we're going to be eternally separated from him. That is the fate all of us have. And what the Bible teaches is that those who are separated from him, it's going to be bad. And that's this destruction that's being referenced here. God and his holiness cannot have anything to do with sin. And so as long as we are covered in sin, guys, we cannot have fellowship with a holy God who cannot fellowship sin. His holiness precludes him. Sin would taint that holiness for everyone. It precludes him from being able to fellowship that. So he, you will be separate as long as you're living in that sin, covered in that sin. The reason... We have hope is because God loves us so much that he made himself a man. He came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned a single time. He went and died on the cross for my sins, takes my sin onto himself, says, if you will be my disciple, I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to allow my death to be your penalty. I'm going to take it for you. Now, if you don't want to be my disciple, we're not going to apply that benefit to you. But if you will be my disciple, we're going to apply this benefit to you. And not only that, I'm going to teach you how to have an even better life, the best life you can have on this earth. That sounds like a pretty good plan, right? The only reason I wouldn't take advantage of that is if I doubt that's the truth. Or if I think that I know better. Or if I feel like I'm going to miss out on something and I'm really To go this other route because I don't really believe this is all it's cracked up to be right that's the difference between a believer and a non-believer is this Jesus stuff really all it's cracked up to be or is it not it's what it comes down to but Jesus gives us a chance he gives you a chance he gives me a chance You want to know why he even bothers to give us a chance? What's that passage say? It's how much God loved the world. Why did Jesus come into the world? Because God loves you. Now some of you are sitting out there, some of you guys think you think you're special. You think you're special. You come to a church and you you hear all this talk about love, how God loves you. Yeah, God, God loves that guy. He loves that girl. God don't love me that way. I've done too much. I've been too unfaithful. I've heard this over and over, and I've never given that up. I've hid it my whole life. People knew the real me they know this can't be for me. Let me tell you something. You are not special. When God says he loves you, he didn't mean everybody except you. When God says he loves you, he meant you. If you doubt that, it could be you don't love you. I know how that is. God loves you. And the cross is proof of it. And the reason that we take communion uh, here at the crossings every week is is because Jesus told us to. Um, The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to be reminded that we serve a God. Who cares enough to come into the world and die a horrible death. And be made a public spectacle in front of his mama. Let his friends run away from him. And he'll hang on that cross and pray for the persecutors that put him there. He'll hang there. He had all the power to get off of that cross. He had all the power to get down, and he could have nuked everybody and been completely right. That ain't what he did. That ain't what he did, guys. He he stayed on that cross. He died on that cross because he knew that was the only way we were going to have fellowship with him. We would have no hope without that. He gives us away. But guys, don't get it twisted. He didn't expect you to get your sins forgiven and stop there. (laughs) That's a first step. But there wouldn't be a second step if you weren't able to take the first step. Jesus makes a way where there wasn't a way. Amen? We're going to take communion this morning. We got some bread that represents his body that was broken. We got some juice that represents his blood that was spilled. Jesus wants us to remember what He did for us on the cross every week precisely because He wants us to remember this is how committed I am to you. This is how much I love you. You are not special in the negative sense. You are very, very special in the positive sense. God loves you. You and you and you, every one of you, just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Let's pray and take communion. And uh, guys, his love for us is what should fuel us. Amen. Father God, may we remember as we take communion that we love because you first loved us. If you hadn't loved us in the big, massive way that you have, we wouldn't have any love to give. We wouldn't have anything good to give. And so I pray as we think about the cross this morning and think about the work you did for us on that cross and and how we would not have a chance if it weren't for this, I pray we'll remember that love. I also pray that we'll be introspective, God. Communion is a time, if there's sin in our life, it's a time for us to meditate, what am I doing in my life that's that's maybe not honoring you? Uh, How can I change? God, this is a time of repentance as well. And so I pray we think about that this morning. God, if we need to ask for help, a lot of times, God, there's sins that we struggle with that we can't get over on our own. I pray people know this is a safe place um, where they can get help. But ultimately, the only reason we can have anything even to give here as a church is because of what you've given. God, you gave your life on the cross. May we remember that. Maybe we would be shaped by it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in Luke 22... There was a guy that came to Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? The law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That's the Hebrew Bible. Um, that's kind of all their teachings and everything, pretty much. Those first five books are preeminent, even over the other ones. Jesus replied, and he quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, This is the first and greatest commandment, right? Now, I want to point something out to you. He didn't ask about the second commandment, the the guy that came to Jesus. He didn't ask him about it. But Jesus thought it was important enough to bring up. He said, and the second is equally important. You ever noticed he says that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why would Jesus answer a question he was not asked? He was just asked about the greatest commandment. He tells him it's to love God, but then he says the second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself. Why do you think he felt the need to answer that way? I'll tell you, you can't love God and not love people. Now, let that sink in. You cannot love God. And not love people. You cannot. It is an impossibility. Just like, let me, let me get you something, something else to think about here. You cannot love people the way God intends for you to love people if you don't love God. You cannot have one without the other. They are interdependent on one another. Now, in Jesus' day, he was dealing with a lot of religious leaders who were hypocrites because they claimed to love God, but then they were hateful to people. They looked down their noses at people. They looked at people who didn't agree with them as unclean and unloved by God, and you're just fodder for hell, and that's kind of how they talked about people. People. But then you get something a lot different with Jesus when he comes along. He starts rubbing elbows with those people that those religious hypocrites wouldn't have anything to do with. He starts hanging out with people that struggled with sin. Now, he wasn't with them while they were sinning. That's important to point out. You know, he was not like going to the bars and partying with them. But he was rubbing elbows with people that went to the bars. You know, he wasn't doing drugs with them. He wasn't sitting in the room while they're passing the bong around. But he is rubbing elbows with people that sometimes pass a bong around. And he got made fun of for it by the religious people. He didn't just get made fun of, he got condemned. He hangs out with drunkards and sinners and tax collectors. He didn't care, right? He loved people. And he's trying to get this teacher to see you can't have one without the other. There was another incident uh, that, 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 that came up uh, at another time in Luke 10, another expert in the law, religious law. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Now listen. This guy is familiar with this teaching about the greatest commandment. This was a debate in the first century among the Jewish rabbis, okay? Um, There's other stuff that's written about it. Outside of uh, the scriptures, there's Jewish writings as well about these debates. Um, But this guy comes, and and Jesus asks him this question, and the man answers in 27. He answers correctly. Jesus says, "What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the Bible say? He says... The man answered, 27, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He obviously heard this teaching. He got He got the answer right now. The problem is, this guy's looking for loopholes. It even says that in the message. It says the man, looking for loopholes, asked another question. It says it this way uh, in the New Living Translation. 28, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live But look at this, the man wanted to justify his actions. What does that mean? Was this guy looking to change anything about himself? No, no, he came to Jesus and, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? I ain't really looking to change nothing, I'm just wondering uh, if I'm saved yet, kind of thing. You know what I mean? He wasn't really looking to change. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, you say I need to love the Lord your God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and love my neighbor as self. Well, that guy's not my neighbor. That girl over there is not my neighbor. I, don't, I, I ain't got to love them, right? You see where this is going? Now, for Jews, that was easy. For Jews, They had all kinds of reasons to not think other people were their neighbors, like, the, the dietary laws, the holiday, all that was precluded. But even in, in your own Jewish community, if, if that Jew wasn't being a good Jew, well, that's not my neighbor either because they're not being faithful, so I don't have to love that. And that was already what they were thinking. That's why they were already treating people the way they were treating. So he was just trying to justify what they were already doing. Who is my neighbor? Right? Loophole. Jesus turns it back on him and tells him a story. Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the story, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. Now, is a priest a good guy in Jewish culture? Yes. Holy man, loves the Lord, knows the scriptures. A priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. So you had two religious people, right? Then you got this other guy that's not even a Jew. He worships a golden calf. They have a cult that we don't like. That's why they didn't get along, by the way. They had another religion. He doesn't even worship Yahweh. The spy Samaritan came along. He saw the man laying there. Look at this. He felt compassion for him. You notice the difference? The first two guys, they didn't feel any compassion for him. This guy felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, "Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here." Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus answered. The man replied, "The one." Or uh, Jesus asked. The man replied, "The one who showed him mercy." And Jesus said, "Yeah. Now go and do the same thing." Who was a neighbor to this guy? You notice Jesus didn't didn't validate his question. The point of this is is that the question is not who is my neighbor? That's, That's not the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is how am I being a neighbor to the people around me? How am I putting this stuff into action? How am I responding to the needs that I see around me? How am I being compassionate to the people around me? Not who deserves my compassion. That's what this guy was asking is who deserves my compassion? Who deserves my love? Jesus says it's not about who deserves it, it's about you're giving it. That's the point. We need to quit putting qualifications on our love. That's the point. And if we're going to honor God in our lives as disciples of Jesus, we got to quit putting qualifiers on who we're going to love. I hate politics. I hate them. You want to know why? Because I follow them real close. And I see the divisions they cause between people. And I see the way... You can mentally put qualifications on who you're going to be compassionate to or not. In a place like St. Louis, we're we're up the road from Ferguson, right? I am tired of the qualifications. Do am I going to love this person or not? I want to take that away because we need to not qualify our love. We just need to love. We just need to love. How in the world does this relate to evangelism? Uh, We had a technical issue. I think one of our cords went bad this morning, so we're not going to have audio. It doesn't matter. I've got a little short video clip that I want to show you. I think the visual will get the impact that we want. So can we play that? Now, one of the things you get, because we didn't have audio, is you can't hear the rushing water of the waterfall. That's right downriver from them. The problem there is this guy's sitting on the shore, having a nice little leisurely day at the park, and he sees another man floating by in a canoe who's asleep. And the man is floating toward a waterfall. He's asleep. What's gonna happen to him if he stays asleep? He's gonna go over that waterfall. You got the guy on the shore who all he had to do is what? Speak up. All he had to do is speak up. But what does he do? What's the gesture? Eh, what's that mean? I don't really care. Sometimes all we got to do is speak up. Because you know people, you know people that are headed toward a cliff in your life. You know people that are headed toward a cliff in your life. I think the question that Jesus would ask is do you love them? Do you love them? You know, that's what evangelism is, right? (laughs) You're sharing this good news somebody that needs it because they're headed toward a cliff. If they don't respond, guys, there's going to be trouble. But if I sit on the shore and say, eh. do you guys see how that's not loving? And, you know, I've, I've encountered people over the years who really have a problem with uh, sharing their faith because it's scary. I know. It's, it can be scary because you can be rejected. And does it feel good to be rejected? No. Can people get rude? Yeah, I've had people get rude with me more than once. It'll happen again. Do I like it when I'm trying to be kind to somebody and they're rude back? No. no it's not about, I know it's not about me. They've got some kind of hurt in the past. But, but in the moment, it, it hurts to be rejected. And when you're rejected, when you're made to feel rejected, it, it makes it scary the next time. Because you don't like that, right? Because who am I thinking about if I'm just worried about being rejected? Who am I thinking about? I'm just thinking about me. What if my love for the other person was more than my fear of hurt? How would that change how I act? What if Jesus had been more afraid of rejection than he had been of our eternity away from him would he have done what he did of course not right we got to be like him we've got to love people more than we're afraid of getting hurt you want to know what the price of love is pain when you love people people are going to hurt you But that doesn't mean you just hold everybody at arm's length for the rest of your life because that's not life at all. That's not how we were designed to live. We've got to be willing to lay ourselves out on that cross like Jesus did. And that's the work that God is doing in us as he leads us that way, right? This guy's choice, though, in that illustration, not to speak up, you know, we look at that. Guys, that, it's not just that that wasn't neighborly. You know, I don't, I don't look at that and, oh, that, that, was, that was not very neighborly. Because that was, that was wrong. That was a sin to see that guy headed toward a cliff and you know you've got something you can, and you just don't even care. That's sinful. Man, we can't be like that. You can't be like that. Paul says if we other, love others like Jesus, we're not going to do any wrong to him. In Romans 13.10, if you love others, you'll never do them wrong. Uh, to love then is to obey the whole law. Um, this is a theme we see throughout. It's love God, love people. It's, it's all the whole point of the Bible, love God, love people. Paul's like, if you love people, you're not going to do them wrong. Guys, if we see somebody is headed off a cliff and we don't even try to say anything, I think we've done them wrong. If we know we've got something that could help and we just don't even care, that's wrong. We've got to love people. And we need to love them more than we're afraid of rejection or we're afraid of looking like a fool even. We've got to get over our self. We we quit, die to self, right? Quit thinking about you and start thinking about others. Uh, Fourthly, The Crossings is committed to equipping me to share my faith because as a Christ follower... I'm more blessed by sharing because as a Christ follower, I'm more blessed by sharing. Uh, This is another principle we see throughout the scriptures is you get by giving in the Bible. In Acts 20, 35, we must always cherish the words of our Lord Jesus who taught. Giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. This is a a principle that's throughout the scriptures. You want to be a person that's giving? You're going to get uh, I've told this story before, but I, I really love this, this illustration. Uh, there was a guy that was asked to describe what heaven is like and what hell is like. And first, he described hell. He said, I want you to picture a banquet table and there's all this food at this banquet table all this food is laid out on this table there's there's turkey there's dressing there's ice cream there's like all these desserts it's just as long as you can see in both directions and it's like the best food the best drinks everything and you get to sit at this table and you can smell the aroma and you're so ravenously hungry. You're more hungry than you've ever been in your life. You can smell the good food and, and, and then you go to grab your fork and your fork is uh, longer than your arm. It's a big long fork. And you start trying to get the food, and you're able to get some food on the end of the fork, but the fork is just a little bit too long for you to get it around to your mouth. And so you're able to get the food in the general vicinity of your head, but you just can't reach it because you're strapped to the chair, right? And the fork is tied to your hand, so you can't move it. And, and so you're sitting there, trying, and then the person next to you laughs at you. Because they see you struggling, and so you realize, I can stab them with this fork, so you start poking them with the fork. And they're crying, and the person next to them is yelling, and and it's this whole table of people that are angry. They're not able to be fed, but they're trying to feed themselves, and they're not able to do it. And they're getting mad at each other, and being mean, and nasty to each other. That's hell, right? Right? He says, let me tell you what heaven's like. I want you to picture that same table. I want you to picture that same food. I want you to picture those same people sitting in that same room, tied to those same chairs with that same fork. He said, you want to know what the difference is? They're picking up the food and they're feeding each other. And sometimes they'll miss and like get it on the side of their face. They just laugh. It's fun. And they're sitting there enjoying each other's company. They're laughing and they're having fun together and they love one another. And they're at the same table with the same tools. But they got different hearts. They got a different compassion. They got a different love. Same table, same tools. But guys, the difference is everybody's getting fed at that table. He says, that's what heaven's like. The difference between heaven and hell is selfishness and unselfishness. The difference between a disciple and a non disciple is selfishness and unselfishness. Jesus was a selfless man who gave his life. He literally gave his life. Gave his life. We're more blessed by sharing because that is the essence of heaven is sharing and giving and generosity the essence of hell is the opposite of those things and guys we have enough hell in this world already don't we we need a little bit more heaven in this world don't we we need givers and guys people need you know, you, you, I don't care what you have in your, in your possessions. I don't care if you have nothing. I don't care if you're on the street. Guys, you have compassion and love to give. You have something to give. Are you going to give it? Let me tell you, if you start giving it, you're going to start getting. This is true. Fulfillment, satisfaction. Life tastes real good when you're a giver because God designed you that way. Sharing together is a major part of how we grow and develop. Flip, uh, Philemon 1.6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Guys, when you get out and you start telling people why they should follow Jesus, here's, here's what I've learned about Jesus. Here's how Jesus has blessed my life. Here's Here's where I used to be and where I feel like I am now. And I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. And I know Jesus is with me. When, when you start articulating that to the people around you, guys, you know why it's so important to praise God? Because we forget. If you don't praise God, you will forget all the good things God has given you. And it's the same with our faith, guys. Uh, when we share our faith and articulate our faith and we start making our lives about other people and quit being selfish little spoiled brats, Life is much better. Amen? Hey, look, I've told you over and over, you're in a safe place. Uh, We have a lot of people that come in here off the street, sometimes that are looking for more in life. Uh, If you're new, we don't know you yet, but I want you to know you, you are in a place where I don't care what you've done, you can get help here if you're looking for a relationship with God. If you're struggling with an addiction, if you're struggling with a compulsion, welcome to the crossings. (laughs) You got a bunch of us here. I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. Uh, I'm also a sexual abuse victim. I was severely abused when I was a kid. Man, it messed me up bad. Uh, I had to get a lot of help as an adult, uh, but we're very familiar with with trauma and abuse. Uh, We have a lot of people here who have come out of broken homes. Uh, We've got people here who've struggled with uh, marriage and, you know, gone through divorces. And, man, there's just all kinds of hurt that's wrapped up in here. But then there's also all kinds of stories of healing and how God has worked in the midst of that hurt and oftentimes even through that hurt to do some really incredible things. So nobody is going to look down on you if you're struggling today. I'll just tell you that. You're not going to tell us something we haven't heard before. Three times or four times, okay? Um, But God brought you here for a reason. I'm I'm a guy that believes in divine appointments. You know, I I think sometimes God will put us in places because we need to hear things that he has for us to hear or we need to experience things that he has for us to experience. It ain't an accident you're here today. Um, I want to invite you to respond, okay? You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. Uh, If you want to pull those out, it's going to have a space for you to write... Uh, some contact info for you, um, but we want to have uh, a relationship with you. Uh, we want to get to know you. We want to know your story, um, get to know your family, and, and you know, we just like to get you plugged in. There's a lot of things on that card, though. If you need help with something or if you are investigating a relationship with God, uh, if you need prayer for something, you can, you can write that down there, um, and we would love to follow up and, and connect with you. Now, if you're interested in joining the church, uh, indicate that on there. Uh, we will uh, follow up and have a Bible study with you. Um, we, we study the Bible with everybody, um, regardless of uh, whether they come from a religious background or not, because the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. Uh, and so we want to make sure we are all on the same page with that. We also do small groups here at the crossings. The best thing we have going here is our small group ministry. And I say that because uh, it's good to get together on Sundays and have the big group, but it's hard to get to know you in a big group. We we break down into smaller groups because you are important enough that you need attention. And so we want to make sure that you have that attention given to you. Uh, So we've got groups that meet, we've got discipleship groups, Um, we can tell you all about that if you're interested. Uh, One more thing, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, We're having parties today. Um, I think we're having a Super Bowl party in Fairview Heights. Uh, that's the one that I'm going to go to. We have a Super Bowl party. It's going to be in Roxana, is that right? Uh, so if you want to go to Roxana, Max, these are okay. Um, I think the college students are doing one over at Jake's house. Troy? Glenn Carbon and Troy, okay. So if you want to go to a Super Bowl party today, hey, don't just sit at home. Uh, and and watch the game, come hang out with us. Uh, It's a good opportunity to get to know some people. A lot of the groups, we're going to have kids and everything. Like over at uh, the one I'm going to, we're going to have a bunch of kids over there. Uh, So there's toys and all that. So if you've you've got a family with kids, you are welcome to come. We'd love to have you. Um, But you guys raise your hands one more time. So we got Fairview Heights. If you want to go to Fairview Heights, you can talk to me. If you want to go to Roxanna, talk to Max. Uh, if you're younger, uh, college guys, talk to the college guys. We'll do the Troy thing for them. Um, we would love to have you, though, okay? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. During that song, that's going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out. Uh, then we'll sing another song after that, and we'll pass some baskets, and you can put your card in the basket. Um, please respond. We'd love to, love to get to know you. Um, let me pray for us, and we're going to close today. Father God, I want to thank you for for your love and for your care for us and your compassion for us. Uh, We would have nothing if it weren't for you. We would have no hope if it weren't for you. And so I pray that not be lost on us. I pray also those of us that have made a commitment to follow you, God, if we were challenged this morning, this idea of loving others, I pray that that challenge not be in one ear and out the other. I pray if repentance is needed, we, we make those adjustments, understanding that life is lived on a repentance road. Until we go to be with you, we are not going to be perfect, but Lord, we should uh, make adjustments as needed. And so I pray if that's needed today, we will do so. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.